Welcome to Parsha in Progress with Abby Pogrebin and Rabbi Dove Linzer. Okay, hi, Dove. Hi, Abby. So why are we doing this? We have spent so much time together, actually, it sounds very dorky, talking about Torah. And God and the universe and everything. Yeah, just small topics <laughs> over over coffee. But we have to go to kosher places, but we still have <laughs> very unkosher conversations. And I guess we thought other people might be interested in these conversations because we come from very different ends of the spectrum in terms of observance. Yeah, I might say that. I don't think we're, we, we subscribe to labels, but let's just say we're, we're not exactly observing the same way or as much as each other. And I think it's just interesting to come at something as ancient and enduring as this text from different perspectives and ask why it matters. I'm excited. I'm excited too. We might as well start with humanity, the beginning (laughs) of man and woman, Adam and Eve, um, because we're starting, obviously, Genesis, the reading of the Torah all over again. So just help us understand that there are two creation stories. This is not just a simple um, Eve from the rib of Adam. When you look at the text, you all of a sudden realize, oh my God, the story is being told over different from the first chapter and the second. The second is the one we all know, you know, the Garden of Eden and the rib. But the first chapter... Uh, man and woman are created at the same time. Woman isn't created from man. It says they were created in God's image. They're completely equal. Um, and there's no story of any garden. You know, to me, it was a shock because the rabbinic approach is to harmonize. So I just saw the second story as an as an interpretation or a continuation of the first. Harmonize the two stories yeah, into one to, narrative? Exactly. Like it's one story told twice? It's one story in, in, told generally in the first chapter, more specifically in the second. But then when you pull back, you realize really two, two very different stories going on here. And just, we're assuming people remember the second, but let's just break that down a little more. God puts Adam to sleep, and what happens? Uh, he takes a rib or a side from Adam, fashions it into woman. Adam says, this is the time I found flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. Um, this will be called woman, she was taken from man. And, um, and then it goes straight into the snake in the Garden of Eden. It is kind of amazing that most people don't realize the simultaneity of these two people being created at the same time. Because often, most people digest the story as woman as an afterthought or an addendum in mm-hmm. some way. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that the second story, which is the, do- the one that sort of dominates in our mind because it's a story, um, has led to uh, the use of like the divine authority and the biblical text for the subjugation of women. First, just focus on the rib for a minute right, because sure. I, uh, it was another eureka yeah. to realize there is no anatomical rib ever in the Bible. The Bible speaks about a tzela, which sometimes means a rib, but it just as much means a side. And the classic rabbinic uh, tradition is, is that the first human being was created as an androgynous creature, half man, ha- half woman, and that actually the creation of woman was the splitting of the human being down in two and making each half whole. That kind of goes to identity issues today we're seeing play out no seriously absolutely saying, about you know, yeah what, what is gender is there only a gender binary exactly and part of what led the rabbis to do that was the harmonizing with the first chapter because they wanted that a sense of man and woman created equally and at the same time so they brought that into the second chapter by the way i heard the apple is not also in the bible so <laughs> both the apple and the rib are a lie which, that is which true. i'm trying to get over <laughs> i guess what i would really want to ask you is that line, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. That's God's decision. Right? That's a declaration, not That's even a, a decision, like an existential statement. It strikes me as moving, and maybe I'm looking at it through two contemporary lens, that aloneness is bad. Right. That God has created all of these things that are good. This is the first thing that is bad, which right. is that that man is alone. And when I think about Judaism, it actually, I find it kind of stirring and resonant that our tradition would say 
you should be with others. Mm-hmm. You should have companionship. We value partnership. Right. You shouldn't do this life alone. Right. Is that too contemporary? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I first, by the way, I want to say that there were some, you know, the power of what you just Are you said. Are dodging my question right now? I am not dodging your question, but I, I need to, I need to underline something you said, which okay. is the entire first chapter is God creates the light and says, it is good. Creates, you know, the animals. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then all of a sudden God says, this isn't good. You know, that man is alone. So that's really making that big existential jarring statement, right, that this is not the way the world was meant to be. You know, I have to say that I have always read it in the embedded context, that it's talking about man and woman coming together um, in a sexual union in the context of marriage. Where do you get the sex from this? Well, I think when it says they will, a man will cleave to his wife and they will be one flesh. Um, it's talking about them coming together in sexual union um, and certainly sort of seeing that in the marriage context. Any man who lives without a woman, you know, is lacking goodness, is lacking good in his life. Um, and that's mostly in its context of marriage. Obviously, that's the Talmudic context. So that's sort of always the way that I am inclined to read that. But I think that the point that it's making a much bigger existential statement, it's not just about marriage. It's about fundamentally we need companionship. We need connection. Right? We, not, we don't live as solitary creatures is absolutely correct. Bruce Feiler wrote a book about um, Adam and Eve called The First Love Story, I think it's uh-huh. called. He has a quote I love, being alive is too overwhelming to be done by yourself. Mm. And I think, I think that's something a lot of us come to on our own, sometimes in, in, the, in the hardest possible way. Mm-hmm. But to your point about Jeff, there's definitely Jewish pressure yeah. not to be by yourself. Yeah. And like, you know, I know in, again, in my community, people that aren't married, single mothers, single fathers are seen like at the margins of the community. And there's a conscious effort to try to bring them in, but they're almost seen as like not full adults because they're not married yet. I think that that's, an, you know, that's something that we have to really be attentive to. I want to say that it's helpful to go back and read the first story. They are created independent and there is no statement that it's fundamentally not good. And I think sometimes in marriage, people can lose themselves in the other person. So the statement that, you know, actually everybody, you know, you can stand on your own two feet as well is really important. Okay, it's your turn to ask me something. Oh, okay. So what I want to ask you is... Um, I'm nervous. Uh, <laughs> I struggle with this as well, but how do you deal with... I think a lot of the Torah is assumes a patriarchal society and is androcentric, sort of sees things from the man's perspective. And that certainly comes out in that second story, right? Even if we say that it's not a rib, that it was half of the human being, but the human being is the man. And then if he finds his wife... Um, so how, how do you deal with that when it sort of is not consistent with your values? Well, I, I'm always resistant to kind of finding the text that supports your politics, <laughs> but I do think that it's a very encouraging first creation story uh-huh. that the equality, the simultaneity of this, of man and woman at this, you know, the same being created together is very significant and not to be ignored. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not a rabbi, I have learned that, uh, there is no accidental word in Torah, right? <laughs> no accidental sentence or phrase or verse. So, uh, I think it's very powerful that that's the first incarnation. Oh, you mean if you're going to tell two that that the first one is is really that matters. one? Yeah, really matters. And then I would just say, our, Judaism itself, our tradition has already proven how important uh, both players are mm-hmm. in this story. And I do believe that whether it's ritual or relationship, tradition, that Judaism, Jewish life, and art, and actually just our personal lives benefit from each other. Right. And that's not to say that everyone is a man, woman. Uh, it, it's not to say that the value is a man and a woman. I'm mm-hmm. very conscious that it well, could right. also be a woman with a woman and a man with a man. That's the heteronormative part of the but, verse. <laughs> right. but, but before we get into that, in terms of, sort of the sexism of the, second, of the second story, 
I, I just, in a way, think it's simplistic. It's and it and it really doesn't bear out. It's not how we've evolved, and it's not what what gives um, relationship and this tradition the magic that it has. Well, first, I want to say that um, while you know, I, I would sort of hesitate rather rather than say like the sexism of the verse for my relationship to the Torah, and I would sort of say that what appears to me to be you know sexist, and how do I come to grips with it? But what I'm hearing well, are you is, objecting because it's just a facile term. No, uh, it's uh, like I don't like to take a stance vis-a-vis the text to be like I'm the one in judgment of the text. Right. It's a very. So, I didn't mean to judge it. I'm no, saying yeah. it, it, you had framed it as right. something that has been right used, used that way. Yeah, yes. yeah. But what you're saying is is that you would sort of bracket those parts and say the continuation of our tradition really has been more about equality of men and women. Do you really think that's correct? I mean, if you look at like three thousand years of tradition, where are you seeing very the equality? Place. I mean, look at what look at everything that you've done, which at some right. point hopefully we'll talk about. But I mean, you obviously live your life in, mm-hmm. in a very halachic way, right. but also are I think standing for a more egalitarian model, right? And that's a very different place than my grandfather's rabbi. Absolutely. You know, I find myself sort of agreeing with you, but with a nuance. Like I would say that the second story is reflecting the reality of human society. The first story is sort of, you know, the divine perspective that fundamentally each are created created in the image of God equally. There's no image of God in the second story. The image of God is the first story where they're created equally. But then the way we structure society for millennia has been patriarchal, male-dominant, and so on. And that by reading the two intention, you know, it's calling on us to realize the ideal of the first story, even while we grapple with the realities of the second. I I actually do think that we can kind of put the frame of this creation story and the fact that it is not good to be alone. It is also not good to explore Torah alone. Uh, (laughs) That that is great. That is great. We did this. Well, it's our Chavruta. Right. It's a a beginning. (laughs) That's wonderful. Parsha and Progress is hosted and written by Abby Pogrebin and Rabbi Dove Linzer. The show is edited by Jacob Siegel, produced by Josh Cross, and is executive produced by Tablet Magazine. Thanks for listening.